between the three of us here at Pixel Noise, we've managed to acquire one PlayStation 5. And I think that's pretty True. good, actually. <laughs> I think that's actually kind of More impressive. More than I was expecting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was It was a bit of a, uh, an adventure. We were working really hard to try to get in on the pre-orders. Uh, we were unable to do that. Um, they were just selling out too quickly. And I had some luck on the launch day, actually, on the uh, on the website, which is, I forget what the name of it is now, but, like, Sony, like, sells them directly. Play- Sony Direct or PlayStation Direct or something like that. Yeah, it might have been, like, PlayStation Direct. And I was able to order one, and uh, it went through, and it got here. And it's it's a really cool system. <laughs> it's a really cool system. Uh, you know, like, g- general, I guess, like, overall comments is that uh, I think what it's trying to do, it does very well. You know, and and not more than that. I think that it's a credit to the system itself that people are um, comparing, uh, often negatively comparing it to like what a what a higher end gaming PC can do, and it it can't do everything that a high end gaming PC can do. It can't run, you know, it can technically run at resolutions up to 4K and 120 hertz, which is very impressive, uh, but with not as much, you know, not as much uh, visual fidelity and like as high settings as a PC could, but you know what? The box is only 500 bucks <laughs> and you know, a PC that can do that uh, would normally be thousands. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the comparisons to PCs don't stop there. Uh, the system is criticized for being a uh, very large, which it is. Uh, it's, it's the largest PlayStation ever, <laughs> right? It's a, it's big and heavy. <laughs> it, it was funny. Um, well, first off, it's not it's not as heavy as you'd expect, believe it or not. Okay. Um it's it's actually not that bad. But it's about it's about the weight of my my quote fat PS3, <laughs> which is but the thing is the PS3 was gigantic and I never thought that PlayStation would make a bigger console uh, and it turns out they did. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty crazy. But that's all to say I brought that up because if you're going to compare it to, again, a PC, it's a lot smaller than your standard AT, uh, ATX case, and it's a lot lighter, too. So, you know, if if you stack it up, it definitely does have some advantages. Uh, not to mention, and I haven't even mentioned the fact that, of course, it's a PlayStation. Right. That's, that's what I was going to get at, right? Like, people compare it to a PC, and I'm like, okay, but can you play The Last of Us on your PC? No, I don't care. <laughs> right, so to Naughty Dog's credit, they got another Game of the Year title out of the series, and it is only available on the PS5, and that's, you know, an important marketing tool for Sony to be able to do that. Now, the PlayStation 5 uh, is really coming at a time where we are pushing the boundaries of what video game consoles are capable of doing. You know, so so what is so what more can consoles do uh, that the PS5 and the Xbox Series X are offering? What might consoles be able to do in the future? You know, besides the PS5 moves very quickly. I know we talked about the loading zones in Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales mm-hmm. being unbelievable, just na- transitioning naturally during gameplay. So what I'll say about loading, this is uh, this is an opinion I've seen, uh, which I think I agree with, which is uh, this generation was. Uh, really kind of marketed as the no loading generation that like loading is completely a thing of the past mm-hmm. and that's not entirely true i do i want right. to temper that a little bit loading times are 
again, on titles that were optimized for these systems, which admittedly there's very few because they're very new, but on titles optimized for these systems, loading times are very, very short. Spider-Man's a great, ex- probably the best example of this. Not non-existent. Uh, so I, I would temper that for anyone who doesn't have any experience with these systems that like, you might want to lower your expectations a little bit that like, it's not, they're not loading screens, not totally gone, uh, but they're mostly gone and definitely, it's definitely an improvement over last generation. Um, a lot of operation and move like, you know, housekeeping you have to do around the console system updates, game updates, things like that. Uh, do work, do work faster. Uh, probably mm-hmm. in no small part because of the faster internal storage and their uh, uh, shared memory and the system on a chip and all all this kind of other stuff that they're doing on the inside. The the experience of using the console is great. I can say that uh, un- unequivocally that the experience of the experience of using the console is uh, is really great. Nice. So when's it my turn? You send it over. Uh, I know. Just uh, <laughs> as soon as you get vaccinated, you can come over anytime. <laughs> Oof. Can't get the can't get the vaccine, so it's gonna be a while. <laughs> so the PlayStation Five, the list of exclusives is relatively limited right now. Um, although Cyberpunk might be arguably a exclusive game to the PS Five right now. <laughs> Uh, one of the exclusives the is one of my favorite games of all time, obviously, Astro's Playroom. Astro's Playroom. There it is. The free controller demo game. Yeah. yeah. So what? So you can talk very specifically, mechanically, graphically. Uh, what does Astro's Playroom do to take advantage of the PlayStation Five technology? So we've been uh, we we've been talking about the console so far. We haven't talked much about the new controller uh, called the mm-hmm. Dual Sense controller which has made uh i would say a large the biggest advancements since the uh playstation one controller to the dualshock 2 yeah it's it's designed differently it's uh chunkier more like the microsoft style of that it it fits better in the hand i (laughs) wish i brought it up that would have been helpful it's all the way downstairs (laughs) but it has a new brand new higher definition rumble it's it's a lot like the hd rumble in the switch where like it can have very fine and specific gradations in uh the haptic feedback that it gives you and uh, that's that's one big notable thing. Another, the other big notable thing is the adaptive triggers, which uh, I like to describe as if you ever played like a, like a driving game at an arcade, and you're turning the wheel, and like the the wheel can like push back against you if you hit against a wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like that. That that the the uh, the triggers on the controller have an I, I actually I want to learn more about how it works. I have no idea how it works, but they can dynamically um, have different bottoming out points and be a, be at a higher pressure uh, past a certain point, or even like make you push through like a like a texture or like or something like that. Like it adds all of this haptic detail to uh, pulling L two and R two, and this is all for the sake of immersion like i think there's a lot of things this console does which in addition to 3d audio which we're probably not even gonna have time to talk about but is amazing and can't be experienced unless you have your headphones directly plugged into the dual sense controller <laughs> yeah like that's it's it's very immersive it's really cool 
Uh, but the so the controller has all these features, and Astro's Playroom is this game that was made to like show off these new features to the max. So you're walking around as um, Astrobot, the uh, adorable, lovable character, uh, the the our our hero in in Astro's Playroom, and you can feel the difference between when he's stepping on different surfaces. Or uh, when he uses his little laser things to like fly from one place to another. So all of the different ways that you interact with the environment in this 3D platformer, you feel all the different ways that the carriage is interacting. There are various different tools uh, that Astro uses, uh, in addition to his adorable little fisticuffs, which uh, <laughs> punching things is very funny in this game. And everything you punch, every tool you use when you use the triggers uh, feels different. They all have their own unique feel. The, the There was something you brought up uh, the first time you were playing Astro's Playroom. You mentioned individual uh, movements or actions uh, having some amount of vibrating. Uh, and it's all scaled depending on what you're doing. And it's just like this constant thing, but it's so subtle that it's not something you really pay attention to, but it seemed like it was just adding to this immersion, really, where it's the vibrate, the whatever the vibration is, uh, is constantly functioning and adding to the experience. Yeah, all of these features taken apart are, you know, <clears throat> are just like okay improvements, but coming together really do a lot to increase immersion, which. You know, PlayStation has been trying to do for a long time, ever since back in the PlayStation Move uh, and the PlayStation VR. You know, they these were all attempts by PlayStation to try to uh, increase immersion. The 3D capabilities of the PlayStation 3 uh, and its compatibility with uh, with 3D televisions. It was a really it was a really interesting feature the PS3 had. Most pe most people don't know this. If you got the PS3 display uh, that you plugged into it. It came with 3D glasses, <laughs> and uh, you put on the 3D glasses, and your friend put on the 3D glasses, and you could play split-screen games, but because the uh, screen was polarized for the 3D, you could do split-screen, but both of you get the whole screen to see, because both of you are looking at the same screen and seeing different images. Sounds nauseating. <laughs> oh, it was such a cool idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the idea is amazing it sounds like i would puke <laughs> and it never went anywhere uh no i mean you know of course everyone has different reactions to 3d but like uh, assuming assuming that um you, you didn't have those negative reactions to 3d that you would have had otherwise uh it's it's a really cool idea and so they've since become more subtle in their pursuit of immersion and like you know how can we create high definition spatialized audio how can we create subtle um, you know, haptic feedback that is immersive but subtle. Astros uh, shows this off in a way that I'm sure, you know, future games are going to take advantage of uh, on the system. But in addition to it, and, th and this is what I think we should really talk about, uh, is that Astro is not just a demo of all these features, but is also a really fun 3D platformer. It's I think the best 3D platformer I've ever played, which is really like, which is really saying something. Like, I enjoyed playing this game so much more than playing uh, Super Mario Odyssey, <laughs> uh, which is supposed to be like the, you know, that's supposed to be the pinnacle of uh, 
of uh of uh of 3d platformers now is it just the nostalgia factor or like what what about this game made it such a good platformer i haven't played it yet i'm ready (laughs) there's 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 several things um the nostalgia i i will say that i am biased because the nostalgia is a big part of it you're going around through these levels the game takes place inside of a ps5 it's very silly it's great yeah (laughs) you're going through these levels and you're you're collecting um several things you're collecting pieces of a mural because there's this beautiful like uh huge mural that's uh in the game that you collect one piece at a time and there's more importantly there's uh the major playstation consoles as well as all the different accessories that uh came out for those consoles and so uh you're when you find one you're rewarded by uh it it gets added to your collection and it goes into the the playroom which they call the playstation labo which i don't know how they got away with that one and and you get to see when you first pick up the item they made these like carefully meticulously crafted ultra high resolution uh 3D models of all of these uh, all these systems and accessories in some ways you get to see them sort of like we talked about with Celeste it's like you get to see these items as you remembered them like you get to see them like brand new shiny out of the box you know which is like uh something that is uh near impossible to do in real life uh which is just if if you appreciate that kind of stuff is really cool mm-hmm. but it's but it's it's a great you know so there's the collectible aspect to it uh it's a great platformer because um the mechanics of it are very consistent and very fair feeling um it feels good to play and it's also fun for viewers and players alike because if you're a viewer uh and you like the playstation stuff you can appreciate all that but there's also there's these other npcs out in the world that are again we talked about references before that are reenacting all of these references to to major video games in their own little cartoony way and they're not labeled or anything like that so it's just something that exists in the world and if you find it and if you know what it is it's just like a special easter egg that you can have for yourself because the game never tells you what the reference is to it tells you that it's a reference because all of them are marked by one of the little NPCs has this like adorable little camera and they're filming it. And so it's like <laughs> they label it as like, oh, this is an Easter egg here. But they never tell you what any of them are. So you just have to uh, to know, to pull on your own experience. And it's really rewarding when you or an audience of somebody watching the game gets to figure that out. I never thought I would have a conversation where I'm comparing Astro's Playroom to The Witness. But... There's a very important lesson here, which is uh, I've come around on. I think the witness is a collectathon, and it just does collect uh, collectibles perfectly. Uh, it has different kinds of collectibles with different pay uh, payoffs. One kind of collectible in the game, which is a sort of a secret, it's hidden until you get to the top of the mountain, which is the first time the witness tries to tell you explicitly. Like, by the way. There are collectibles all over the place you haven't noticed yet, and you can collect them. And you collect them in your uh, monoliths, the black monoliths uh, checkered around the island. But there's other collectibles in the game that you can't collect. You merely experience them. You notice them, you see them, and that's 
it. You pass by them and you notice it and you keep going. And they're these environmental collectibles that having played the witness, they're so satisfying to see or notice and gather. And it's just, they give you a direction and a motivation to do something that's different, but still within the game. And it's so powerful in Astro's playroom. It similarly has two kinds of collectibles. One that is collected very specifically. They have, uh, I, I, I forget if the pieces of the tapestry are strewn around each level. They are. They are. Great. Uh, but you also have the collectible uh, hardware, uh, the different uh, pieces of PlayStation history uh, that are all interesting and unique, and you add those to your collection in the playroom. But it also has the uncollectible collectibles in these homages to other games. The guy with the video camera just has his camera on this scene happening and you don't pick up anything. You don't add it to a list. You just kind of notice it and experience it. And our, and personally, as a viewer, having watched Astro's Playroom, that was so much more rewarding than the ones that actually check I could check off on a list. Mm. Like, just finding them and seeing them and the fact that they existed was incredible. And I think, I, think one of the, I think this is merely one of the things that makes Astro's Playroom an incredible video game is its collectible system. It's for the same reason that The Witness is a great collectible system. I could also tangent into talking more about why it's a great platformer. Uh, but I don't know how much this is a segment about the PS5 versus Astro's Playroom, so you tell me if I should keep going. <laughs> well, well, we can go into that in a second. I also just want to point out that maybe this is part of why it's a great platformer. But su again, surprisingly, for this like little tech demo game, it has a really fun final boss battle at the end. <laughs> it does. <laughs> that's uh, that's it's really cool. It's really rewarding. Um, you know, the rest of the game up until that point is a pretty simple a pretty straightforward simple 3d platformer but the but the boss battle at the end it really is a it's a great final exam at the end of the game like it you go and you use all your skills that you acquired uh throughout the process uh it's traditionally constructed in that it is a uh it's a very uh repetitive cycle uh through uh, or series of cycles through two boss characters uh so you can so you go in and you uh, you try your best and you die and you eventually you go through and you learn the pattern. Uh, and it was just, it was just, it was just a lot of fun um, for experienced platform gears, gamers and unexperienced alike. Because I also, uh, after I played it, I watched my sister, Allie, play through this game, who's not an experienced 3D platform player. And she not only got through the game, but got through the, it was, it was tough. It took a lot of repetitions, but uh, succeeded in the final boss battle on her own. And I was like, oh, this is this is so great that this game can be fun, rewarding for both experienced and unexperienced players alike. Thinking about Astra's Playroom as a platformer, as an excellent platformer, made me realize something about Celeste. Celeste, in its prologue, before chapter the technical chapter one, it lies to oh, you. Spoilers, Alex. I just told you I was going to play it. <laughs> it's it's literally in the prologue. You'll get over it. <laughs> Celeste lies to you because it gives you this mechanic, this dash, uh, midair jump. And when you reach the end of the prologue, it has this moment where it teaches you how to use the jump. And it teaches you that when you're jumping, 
and you can't reach a platform, you can press the dash button and that'll give you a double jump, so to speak. And the great lie of Celeste is that Celeste is not a platformer with a double jump. It's not. That's not what it is. That's what it teaches you in the prologue. And you play seven freaking chapters thinking that, assuming you know nothing else about the game. But the secret, the secret, and Dan, cover your ears, the secret of the dash is that it's actually a tool for speedrunning. The dash is not just a double jump to save you from dying. It's the thing that makes speedrunning possible in the game. It's the tool you use to go faster. Now, Astro has a similar tool, very different purpose. It has this hovering ability in the game, which, again, essentially is a double jump. Now, it's unfortunate that I don't think there's a secret uh, second ability to the hovering in Astro's Playroom. Uh, it clearly just functions as a second jump. Like, it doesn't really do anything more than that. It lets you get over the territory much more easily. It could have been a little bit different, but uh, I've noticed in the speedruns I have watched of Astro's Playroom, it doesn't seem to speed you up or, or slow you down, uh, which does simplify the gameplay, but it does lower the ceiling of what's possible by a lot. And, you know, for a demo, that's probably the right choice. Uh, if it were a game that I wanted to speedrun, it would be more interesting to have the higher ceiling if using the dash was either a benefit or a consequence to your speed, but it's not. Uh, however, the game is a demo, and it's very short and has dedicated speedrun levels. And the last piece that makes the game very uh, potent to me is that it's linear. Celeste is a linear game for the most part. Celeste is a linear game where you <laughs> go from the beginning to the end of a <laughs> of a level. 3D Mario games generally are not linear. They're more round. I've been using this metaphor of like they're shaped like a, levels are shaped like a circle instead of a line in Mario. And Odyssey definitely does this where you just have to check each corner and find each thing and run back and forth. And that's not the kind of level design that I enjoy in a platformer. Uh, the level design I enjoy is more like the obstacle course of getting through a linear set of challenges, uh, which is what Astro's Playroom is. Astro's Playroom is almost literally, I think, just like a straight line forward for the most part. And seeing that, seeing that it does have this extra jump feature to make at least movement that much more interesting, uh, having all these collectibles and being a you know, flawless gameplay experience as far as, like, the graphics are beautiful and it's going to run great. Like, it's oh. a demo. Uh, it's oh, my God. Important. I have to point out, this, <laughs> I felt like this was an epiphany while I was having the game, just on the graphics. The <laughs> graphics of this game are incredible. Mm -hmm. The lighting is amazing. The colors are vibrant and beautiful. Uh, reflections are beautiful. Uh, different types of surfaces uh, look different in incredibly interesting and detailed ways. The textures are extremely high resolution and very rewarding the closer you look at them. And it goes to show, Nintendo, mm -hmm. that you can have a beautiful looking game that's in a cartoony style 
And I feel like this has been an excuse <laughs> that people have used for a long time. It's like, oh, well, the graphics in X game aren't as good as Y game, but it's more of a cartoony style, so it doesn't really matter. And it's not a priority or whatever I it may. I disagree. That's the thing with Nintendo, and we spoke about this earlier, right? Like, that, like, where's the incentive? People are buying their games, so why do they care? Like, that, that's the problem here. Is like if if people weren't buying their games, of course they'd be sitting and thinking, okay, how can we make the graphics better? How can we make the stories better? How can we do X, Y, and Z? But but they don't have to. Well, and I don't want to respond to that. Of, co- of course they don't have to. Like they could do a lot worse and still be doing mm-hmm. plenty well. Uh, they'd still be making profit margins, but they could be doing better. Like they are alienating a certain subset of potential audience by not going mm-hmm. into this territory strictly because they aren't prioritizing it that assumes though that the people in charge of the decision making are first and foremost artists and that's not no. the case no 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 i'm not even making that assumption they are literally leaving money on the table because they are not doing this now does now there's the payoff like how much work it would require in order to make these upgrades it, yeah that's exactly i don't think they are leaving money on the table would they would they would they have a greater income if they did these things? Yeah, probably. But would they have a? a they, they would also have a, a lesser profit. Yeah, cost of production. They I get it. To, yeah, there's right. pros and cons. And and that's the thing is, at the end of the day, the people who are decision makers for Nintendo, all they care about is profit. That's it. Yeah, but I'm sure there are people there who want to make a great artistic product and would love to spend time doing it. But there, there's no monetary incentive for it, and that's all that matters. I, I I I want to really push back on saying there's no monetary incentive for it. Like we don't know that that's what would happen. I'm just right? I'm just thinking like is there I don't I can't think of a single person I've ever met who has said the only reason I don't buy Nintendo games is because the graphics aren't better. I don't. It's not going to be that simple. Because I think with the graphics improvements, there's also going to be performance enhancements right. uh, that people like Tony would obviously, like Tony said earlier, Nintendo's a hard company to like, and there's good reason for that. That's bad branding. The impact of these decisions can be very great. Uh, if I'm going to make some sort of like butterfly effect argument here, but I, I just also wanted to point this out very quickly. Uh, everything that Tony that you pointed out about the graphics in the game. It is an important part of the game because the game does take advantage of the technology because they can do things with the, like, I understand like reflections in a game are very difficult to pull off. And this game can fill the world with all these shiny services, Astro himself, different interactions with the water. Like these are mechanically demanding things that they have the freedom to pull off because they did it. And that's, incredible yeah and if they make astros 64 i will (laughs) prefer that over every mario 3d game that's ever come out yeah like i don't want to get i don't want to get too lost in the whole like uh business aspect of this the only point that i really wanted to make was in a cartoony style um high level graphics can elevate the experience and that's that's really the only thing that i'm pushing back against which is that I've heard the argument that um that it because it's a cartoony style that there's no way that um elevated graphics uh could matter. And this is something and seeing experiencing this game, playing this game uh really affirmed for me that uh that's 
that's not a position I agree with. Now, of course, everyone has their own preferences. Like, right. you know, that's, <laughs> you know, you, you can have your own preferences and that's fine. But for me, like, I still think that this is uh, adding value to this experience. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I wasn't arguing that it wouldn't add value. I, I think you're 100% correct. And I fully agree with you. I'm saying that it wouldn't add value for Nintendo. I think the players would love and appreciate it. I think it could even potentially bring in new new players like Tony. And I think overall it wouldn't be worth it for Nintendo because I think that if you look at every gamer and you get rid of the ones who are already playing Nintendo games, that's already many gamers, if not most. Then you look at the ones who aren't playing Nintendo games because they're not up to par like with graphics and stuff like that that's like that's not why i'm not playing nintendo games would i appreciate it yeah but what would i appreciate more is maybe like a, a better story something geared more towards adults oh yeah um like like the, there there are other reasons i'm not playing nintendo games and i think the other thing that we have to look at when we're comparing nintendo games to uh astro is that astro is a demo I mean, a fully polished demo, not not to say like it's a like a demo of a game that isn't made yet, but it's like it's it's not a full length game. They they can pour all this uh, all their resources into it because what they're trying to do is make a shorter game that fully uh, showcases everything about the system. And and they did that very well. They didn't yeah. make the game longer or shorter than it needed to be, which is one of the things I love about it. And it's something that I generalize what I would say generalizably about a lot of games, which is that I really appreciate games that are exactly the length that they're supposed to be. And that could be because of the story. It could be because of uh, there's only so many mechanical ideas. It could be because they only have so much budget and time to make it. Mm -hmm. But you can tell when a game is stretched too thin or compressed or rushed or something mm -hmm. like that. You know what else was a well-polished demo? <laughs> Portal. That's right. Portal was a short game based on one mechanic in their Half-Life series. And, you know, they liked it enough that they gave it a great story and they gave it the full treatment. And Portal is uh, in and of itself a gaming juggernaut mm -hmm. in the culture. Uh, my other example is Smash Brothers and their online service in esports. They could take <laughs> over esports if they put into it. And I can't hear an argument that there isn't value, monet monetary value for Nintendo in doing that. Yeah, that, that one is a little harder for me to justify. Um, it seems like they should really want to do that. It um, does, doesn't it? But... <laughs> There, there. I mean, there must be some reason because I'm, I'm sure you know. If we're saying it, I'm sure somebody at Nintendo has thought of it already. Almost doesn't see it. It, they could just be missing it. I have no idea. It would be, it would be nice if we could hear their perspective. Yeah, maybe Alex is a genius and he's about to get a job offer. It would, yeah, <laughs> would be nice, Nintendo, if you responded to us and just let us right. know. I know but... <laughs> one of my hundred emails every day. They've got to see one of them, right? All right, uh, that is uh, all the time we have for the PS5 segments. Man, that uh, it's good to just talk to you guys again, just having like a real <laughs> podcast episode all of a sudden.